Hi, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Hosting as always, my name's Dan and I'm joined in this very special end of season review by Paul. Good evening. And Khan has finally been re- released from um, Count Bin first duty. Khan, how are you doing? Are you lost? I'm, <laughs> I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, still reeling from the uh, the mayoral campaign loss, but uh, I've gone back to football, so uh, hopefully sticking to what I just about know about. <laughs> uh, well, well, football is always a, a cheerful subject, unless you're an Evertonian. So if we if we get started, then straight away got a lot to cover um, with. By last, um, to be honest, by means least, um, Sheffield United they didn't have a great season. Did show a couple of signs of recovery towards the end, but the, the damage was done a long, long, long time ago. I thought they might have a, a chance of getting nil point at one point if we're going to be topical. Um, but re- really, where the Sheffield United go from here? It's been a very difficult season for them. Yeah, it, it has been uh, definitely one to one to forget. Um, I think you know I was, we, when we when we spoke about them in the sort of first half of the season, it was are they going to have the lowest points tally ever? Because it was looking pretty desperate for them um, till about Christmas, and then they just sort of started to to get a couple of uh, couple of wins. I think Newcastle, if I, if I recall, were, were quite obliging as they often are um, <laughs> to let them get one off the ground. Um, and they, fin- they you know they finished with 23 points which obviously isn't, isn't great but at least it spares them any any real blushes um and actually if you look at the other two relegated teams there's only a few below uh them which you know we'll, we'll let you guys g- cover those in a minute so i i think now it's all around yeah what's what's their sort of strategy going forward right they don't i don't believe they've um obviously they parted company perhaps controversially with um you know with chris wilder so i, th- I don't i think they still need to sort out a permanent um permanent appointment as, as manager, which I think is probably a really key thing for them to do. Um, and then I guess it's going from there really as to, as to whether they have enough to sort of have a go next season and try and, you know, back, bounce back up or whether they sort of, you know, do a, a bit of a Stoke City and sort of flounder down there for a bit will, will remain to be seen. But I think, yeah, it's uh, get get that sort of uh, appointment hopefully right and then go from there and just try and try and put this uh Put this season behind them, and it's 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 a shame really because the first season up they were really good value. I think they were a, a really popular sort of team because um, I think they you know they played good stuff and they they sort of really added something. And it's it's a shame that they weren't able to follow it up, but that's how the Premier League goes sometimes. You know, we all know it's a really tough league. Very much so. Can, can um, I just jump in there, Dan, to to remind Khan that one of the results that they picked up when they improved slightly in the second half of the season was the win Old Trafford. That didn't happen, no, no, no. <laughs> well, my argument is the whole season didn't happen, Khan, so... <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I think Khan's dead right. The, the, the first big decision they have to make is who's going to be the manager. Chris Wilder did an incredible job there for a long period of time. It seems as though Paul Heckingbottom is not seeking the job on a long-term basis. I've heard them linked with a couple of managers from abroad. Um, I think they've been uh, linked with Jokanovic as well, haven't they? Who's yes. obviously got experience at that level with, with Watford and with Fulham. And promotional um, experience he, as well. Exactly, two promotions. He wouldn't be the worst choice in the world um, if they do want to bounce straight back. And as we've seen and talked about this season in other podcasts, actually it's becoming more common for the teams who go down to be right back up there competing and, and the the parachute payment system has, has come in for some criticism, but the managerial appointment is the is the big one for Sheffield United. Uh, yeah, and if um, if they can get Ryan Brewster firing next season, 
who is a proven goal scorer at championship level, they, they may um, their stay away may be a short one. Um, I've kind of enjoyed this week watching Sam Allardyce really, really cracking up and losing the plot. Um, I think that goal scored by Allison uh, at the Hawthorns last weekend finished him off. Um, he's not been able to keep them up despite being a self-proclaimed relegation troubleshooter. I see a lot of signs of West Brom coming straight back up, to be honest. I think they've got a quite a, a nucleus of strong players who would be too good for the championship. Paul, what what do you what do you reckon about West Brom's chances? Although I know like myself you, you won't be sorry to see the uh the back of Sam Allardyce's not insignificantly sized head. Yeah, I think what's really interesting, Dan, is Sam Allardyce is trying to sell this now as though we took on Mission Impossible. I think we should remember where West Brom were at the point that Big Sam took them up. And yes, they were down there and yes, they were in trouble, but they were not cut adrift. They'd just drawn at Manchester City, if you remember, in Slaven Bilic's last game in charge. They got a draw at, at, at the Etihad. This was not doomed from the start for Sam Allardyce. They've gone down because Sam Allardyce has not done a very good job. <laughs> now, I know Sam Allardyce won't like to hear that because in Sam Allardyce's world, um, he's you know the saviour of all, all things football. But uh, the, the reality is he needs to, to carry the can for quite a lot of what's happened this season, whether he likes it or not. Um, now, in terms of where they go from here, I do think they've got some good players who will help them to to have an opportunity to bounce back. I think we talked um, at the start of the season about their defenders all being sort of championship quality players. I think they've struggled defensively in the Premier League. They will have a, a more settled defence, I think, in the championship. You look at further up the field and, and Diangana, who they brought in from West Ham, showed flashes for them. Uh, the, the You know, they've got other players in the likes of Callum Robinson, who, again, in certain games had had some impact. Um, I think Mateus Pereira, if they can keep him, he's obviously a quality player. I think he may have one or two suitors. Um, but again, the, the big decision for West Brom is a managerial decision. I do think it's quite interesting that apparently the number one candidate there seems to be Chris Wilder, um, which, which may say something to the Sheffield United conversation we've just had. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not so sure that Mark Hughes is liking the way this podcast is going. There's there's two jobs going there, and he's not been mentioned for either. I think that might tell you where Mark Hughes' career is going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna mention about about Wilder because he has been linked, and I, I like. I don't think it would be a bad appointment to be quite honest. No. Um, which, given what's happened with with Sheffield United, yeah, like you say, Paul might might speak a lot. Um, Overlapping full overlapping centre halves coming to a Hawthorns near you. Um, I'll I'll take on full and then while we're in a nice pattern. Um, it, it felt to me like a season of what nearly was for Fulham and what could have been. They were in with a big shout of staying up at one point, but it got away from them, um, and eventually they've they've been relegated with quite a bit of um, change to spur. To be honest, um, there's a lot of promise in there and. Come like come like March and April, you thought there's a real chance they could they could stay up, but they they've ended the season very poorly. And I, I don't know if Scott Parker's looking over his shoulder or not, but really, if if I'm a Fulham fan, I'm thinking this guy's got us at once. Keep the team together, keep the manager, and let's um, let's have another cracker at next season. Um, I think if I'm one of the Khan family and with the amount of money that they have, I wish I was. Um, they're no sports, and I hope they make 
a kind of pragmatic and sensible decision to keep Scott Parker. I mean, Scott Parker could probably go and get the Crystal Palace job if he wanted to, or, or a, a job of that ilk. But it's been linked with Tottenham, even. Has has he? Um, I mean, that 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 feels like a big step, doesn't it? But he's been linked with the Tottenham job. Yeah, well. Spurs is a bit of a of a nutcase place to be at the moment. I, I would probably stay at Fulham and, and when <laughs> when when Tottenham sat the next manager in about two and a half years, um, he he might be ready for that. Then I, I I would stay and I think Fulham should try and make it a priority to to, to convince Scott Parker to stay and have a, another shot at it. But yet I, again, they were promoted and you've got six weeks get yourself sorted, and they, they never look like, really looked like they were going to. They had a chance. And um, when when it push came to shove, they, they lost um, a game late on at Villa Park and never recovered from that moment. Yeah, you think about those those missed chances, Dan. That they were one nil up in the ninety third minute at the Emirates a few weeks ago, couldn't see it out. They were winning the game at Villa Park till late on and ended up losing it. Um, they they just they did kind of run out of steam and and in big moments they let themselves down. I think with some mistakes. The interesting thing about Fulham is. I do kind of think some of their best players this season have been lone players. The centre-half, um, Anderson from Leon has had a really good season. Obviously, the goalkeeper was only on loan. I think Adam Ola-Lukman has arguably been their, their best player. Uh, Josh Madger, I know he didn't quite carry on the early promise when he got those couple of goals at Everton, um, but he's only on loan. So I think, again, the question mark at Fulham, does Scott Parker stay? And then how many of those lone players can they keep hold of? Yeah, I think I think that the club would be I think mad to to cut him loose. Um, you know, I think they should let him have, an, have another crack. I think it's whether he wants to stay or whether you know he gets other offers. Because I I think generally people have been sort of quite impressed with how he sort of conducted himself as a Premier League manager. I think they just yeah ultimately didn't have you know quite enough quality. Um, I, to stay I actually on on that point, Con, I saw something there's a on YouTube the other day with with Sir Alex Ferguson and. And he was talking about actually how impressed he'd been with Scott Parker and the job he'd tried to do at Fulham, um, even though ultimately, as we've said, they've, they've just come up short at this level. team that I thought were going to come up short after five games was Burnley. But they they have stayed up very comfortably. They finished 17th in the end, but it's a very long 17th. You know, They're not in any danger of going down and, and frankly haven't looked in any danger probably in 2021. Um, there was always rumblings of, oh, well, Burnley could get sucked back into it with a bad result this weekend. But as uh, as Burnley always seem to do, they get a couple of results when they need to and and carry on. Um, I'd say it's probably a, a good season for them, given that they've not spent very much and they've, they've stayed up very, very comfortably again. They, they have, and, and you know, they had a, a dreadful start. You know, it was them and, and Sheffield United were, were sort of right adrift at the bottom for the first couple of months. They, they, they had a yeah, really, really terrible start. But... Well, they they did what Burnley do and what Sean Dyche does, and that's dig themselves out of it. And and they you know like they didn't make any silly decisions um, or sort of panic. Um, and yeah, as a result, they've sort of reaped the reward, which is you know ultimately yes. Whilst it's only one point, you know, one place above the relegation zone, as you say, points wise, it's you know is there's a comfortable cushion in there. And I think yeah, like you say, since since Christmas, they've never been any in any real danger. Um, I don't know what the sort of the the the, the next step for them. Is as such, you know, our, you know, at the start of the season, we talked about, you know, some fallouts or rumblings between, you know, Sean Dyche and then the ownership there. Um, I'm not sure what what the situation is, um, or, or or what the sort of future holds there. Whether anything will happen over the summer, um, but I think yeah, that ultimately a, a sort of 
safe safe closing out of the season from them. I don't know if you can get any odds on the next manager. I presume you can to, to leave his post in the Premier League. But I I think Sean Dyche should be pretty short because I think he will be seeking um, some reassurances from the club in the next few days about what they're going to back him to do in the transfer market in the summer. And if he doesn't get the guarantees he's seeking, I think Sean Dyche could walk. Um, this... We've talked about they struggled at the start of the season. It's another miracle he's kept them up when you look at the squad of players. That is one of the worst three squads of players ability-wise in the Premier League. Um, and he's kept them up. They finished, what, 10, 12 points away from the, the, the drop. Um, but he can't, as good a manager as Sean Dyche is, he cannot keep pulling these rabbits out of hats. And if they're not going to back him in the transfer market, I think Sean Dyche might move on. I, I, it wouldn't shock me in the next two weeks of Sean Dyche resigns because if he does not get guarantees that there's going to be a bit of money to spend, I just think he might think I'm going to push my luck one year too far here. Um, And again, if Sean Dyche were to come on the market, he would be the most sought after manager for all those relegated teams that we've just talked about. who have got vacancies for the likes of Crystal Palace. Sean Dyche would be an attractive candidate. Um, And if he doesn't get, a promise of some backing in the transfer market, it wouldn't shock me at all if he walked. Given that you can get odds on the colour of the Queen's hat at the races or the colour of the Gatorade at the Super Bowl, I would suspect you will be able to get a bet on Sean Dyche being the next manager to leave, Paul. <laughs> Almost certainly. Um, the team that finished above Burnley, uh, another team that kind of perpetually flirted with relegation but had no prospect of going down ultimately is Brighton. Um, I think they've. I, I think anything that's not 18th is is good enough for Brighton, but they might be in for a difficult summer. I think they may lose a couple of players. I think Ben White will leave. Um, Eve Bissouma has been linked um, heavily with Arsenal and increasingly Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I'm expecting us to to possibly make a, a bid for him in the coming weeks. But Brighton again play good football. I like um, Graham Potter quite a mild-mannered and quiet man who, who speaks sense and they, they try and play good football and anything above 18th is good enough for them. Yeah, you're right, Dan. It's it's not... Um, it's difficult to know where you go with clubs like Brighton and Burnley because realistically, what is the ceiling and how close are they already to that ceiling? Um, they've had a good season. I do think they'll lose a couple of players this summer. Um, again, at it's how many times can you keep flirting with danger and, and just surviving. Um, they're another club who, who similar to Burnley, just when you think Brighton are about to get sucked in, they go and get a result somewhere that surprises you. And they've done that for a couple of years now. Um, and, and Graham Potter's done a decent job. Again, he's been linked with Tottenham. I know Tottenham have been linked with everybody at the moment, but, but he's been linked with a Tottenham job as well. I would think they'd want to keep him having made a big play to, bring him in in the first place um, I, the thing I always think about Brighton is could they get a more regular goal scorer because I think that I, I, they've always defended decently and been relatively solid defensively they've always had people in midfield who can compete even if they don't have maybe the most creative midfield players the question for me is could they go and find someone who's going to get them 15 16 league goals because if they could I'd be pretty confident about Brighton staying up but I, you know, I, I wouldn't know without looking who their top league goal scorer is this season. 
but I suspect he hasn't got more than 10 or 11 goals, whoever it is. I mean, my guess will be Mope, but I'm, I might be wrong on that. Well, Mope spends too much of his time suspended. Yeah, or, or trying to wind people up. I mean, they're the two things he does. Have you got anything you want to add there, Cam? Um, well, I, I think good, good, good summary, really. But yeah, it's, it's, it's that last point, really. I think it's that if, if, if they're going to do anything sort of different, I don't, I don't think uh, lack of another goal scorer would necessarily mean they, they go down as such. But if they want to try and uh, sort of push themselves up the table a bit, I think that's that's the obvious thing. I would say keep keep hold of the manager because, you know, he is, he is being linked with bigger jobs. Um, so keep hold of the manager and yeah, try and bring in a goal scorer. I think they're the, they're the key things for Brighton. Mope with eight and then Welbeck with six. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, team finished 15th, probably quite disappointed with the season given they were top in November. Um, Southampton. Um, I remember discussing on, on this podcast a while ago um, as, as the backside fell out of their season, uh, largely due to injuries and a, a lack of confidence. Uh, a, a lot of Southampton fans were saying it's just one of those seasons. Forget it, move on, keep the manager. And uh, I, I do like the way Southampton play. Um, there were a handful at Anfield a few weeks ago. They beat us um, in in the league in January, which kind of started our our big slide. And it's 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 a very easy thing for me to say: keep the manager, see where they go next season. I think Southampton's. Biggest thing is keeping up Danny Ings. Um, he has had a, a fantastic couple of seasons, and he's the main man. Uh, he is a Southampton fan, so that does work in their favour. But if Tottenham come calling, or Manchester United come calling, or hey, I, I would have him back at Liverpool if Liverpool came calling. It, it's going to be very difficult for him to 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 not to, to not go. And if Southampton do lose Danny Ings, they will have a problem. He, he will be difficult to replace. And we saw that when he was injured, Dan, didn't we? They struggled without his goals. Yeah. Um, che Adams, Shane Long, uh, you know, respectable players in their own right. They're not massive goal scorers. Walcott came in in January and, you know, started okay and then he faded a little bit. I don't think Nathan Redmond had his best season. Um, I like Southampton's midfield players. I think uh, James Ward-Prowse... It's no secret to people who listen to this podcast. I'm a fan of his. I think he's underrated. I think Stuart Armstrong's a really solid football player. I think um, uh, Romeo, who used to be at Chelsea, again, is a really solid Premier League central midfield player. They, they're well organised. I think where they lack a bit of quality is... Centre-half. Centre-half and centre-forward when when they don't have Ings available to them. And they are difficult positions to, to kind of get by with, with substandard players. And um, I think we've they, they've found that a little bit this season again. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right, Dan. Keeping Danny Ings. And, and I will keep the manager as well. I think the manager's a good manager. Yeah. And he's popular with the fans as well, I think. I think they love him. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any danger of play him good going... Football. They do play a good. Yeah, football. this is it. So I think I think he has support. I'm not aware that the hierarchy at the club don't you know that aren't backing him. So I think I imagine he'll still be there. Um, I think yeah, they have got some good players. I wonder if even if if Ward Prowse might generate some interest um, over the window. I think he's had a good season. He's a good player. 
Um, and yeah, Ings is is clearly a key one, and because he's he's that rare commodity of you know that sort of player you were talking about that Brighton need, right? That that guaranteed 15, 16 goals, um, which is what he get. I don't know what he scored this season, but it feels like he must be in that area um, for Southampton. So um, yeah, they they need to try and keep keep hold of him. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't see any huge sort of drama there. The one of those clubs, Southampton, they'll just sort of carry on next season, play quite well, and you know ship eight goals to Leicester. Um, <laughs> oh, Manchester United. United. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think um, just quickly on the Wall Prowse point, I saw something earlier today that said he'd um, he'd scored. Uh, sorry, he played every minute of every game, both this season and last season, and he's the only player in the Premier League that that applies to. I think just a sign of how important he is to them this this year. Uh, they're not massive goal scorers, Southampton. They scored 47 goals. Wood Prowse scored eight and created another seven. I don't think they can afford to lose him. And it wouldn't shock me if he got some interest. Set Again, pieces. from the likes of, you know, the, the Arsenals of this world and the Evertons of this world who want to be in that top six or seven places, um, but are looking to improve in the middle of the field, it wouldn't shock me if, if Will Prowse had suitors. I, I would take him I would take him at Liverpool. Um but if we then turn our attentions to Crystal Palace, um Roy Hodgson announced midweek that he was his retiring I I take it as a retirement. He he could pop up somewhere in the championship in the near future. Um you never know. But uh, I, I took it that he's retiring and uh, what a good job he's done with Crystal Palace. I've kind of tried to get over the whole Hodgson thing, um, and I, I think he's done a superb job there. They're another team that kind of look over the shoulder and go, well, actually, boys, it's it's down to five points. We need a couple of wins here and probably go and get them. And I think that the, their big job is they've got a lot of players out of contract this summer, so they need to kind of rebuild the squad and, of course, get the managerial appointment right, because if that goes wrong... And Crystal Palace get another Frank De Boer on the hands. They could be in serious trouble next season. They're the team that I'm looking at that we've been talking about so far, who I think could be in the most trouble if they get it wrong. Yeah, it's becoming a theme actually of this sort of run through of the bottom half, isn't it? About managerial appointments becoming quite key. This is about the fourth or fifth team, but I think you're absolutely right. They need to, um, yeah, they need they need to find someone who can come in and just sort of carry on what Hodgson's been doing, but as you say, around the players, you know, make sure that that sort of recruitment happens in, in the right way as well and that the recruitment is aligned with the type of manager that they bring in, I think, is important. So, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, we mentioned, you know, Scott Scott Parker. I think Frank Lampard was one of the early names, wasn't he? Um, so, yeah, they just need to sort of sort that out fairly quickly now and then start to start to plan for next season. And just to follow up on what Dan said, which is dead right, 15 players out of contract, um, which is a lot of players. And when you run through the list, okay, so some of them aren't, aren't regulars, but James McCarthy, Mamadou Sacco, Joel Ward, Gary Cahill, Patrick Van Arnhout, Andros Townsend, Christian Benteke, Jeffrey Schlup. These are a lot of these guys have been people who've been starting relatively regularly in the Premier League. Um, it's a lot of players to have going out of contract in a single summer. That And... Um, yeah, then again, the managerial appointment clearly is going to be critical, but but they need to get on and appoint somebody quickly because they need to start making a decision on how many of these fifteen players do they want to extend. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of those are, yeah, their first their first team players, right? So it's either, yeah, do they want to give them another year or get them out and then figure out who you want to bring in? But that, that suggests someone's dropped a ball there, surely, um, to have that many uh, expiring in the same summer. You think someone's someone's messed up there. Especially given that they've not, They've not been spending a lot of money on transfers in recent years. You know, Hodgson hasn't spent fortunes since he's been there. Uh, I know they had, obviously, the Sam Allardyce experience beforehand where he did keep them up, but by splurging a huge amount of cash in doing so. Um, they haven't spent fortunes, and you, you, you would kind of think, how where's the money been going? Because it's not been going on extending the players they already <laughs> have, and it's not really been going on buying new players, so... Yeah, there's a lot of decisions to make at Crystal Palace, and I, I agree, Dan. Get that wrong. Um, and the, again, we talk about keeping Danny Ings for, for Southampton. Keeping Wilfred Zaha for Crystal Palace is critical. I, I know, you know, we maybe haven't quite lived up this season to the maybe the two previous ones, but he's still the one who can do something special in that team. Quick, quick predictions then for the next Palace manager. I'm going to say that it will be Frank Lampard. I'd, I, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Given that he's a free agent as well and it's a London club, it, it seems to make sense. Sean Dyche. Interesting. Interesting show. Um, a team ensconced just above Crystal Palace who, who won't be happy with their season is Wolves. Um, where, where did they go from here? Obviously, Nuno Holy Ghost is moving on. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not hugely surprised by that news. Um, I don't know if he's going to Tottenham or not, but we'll come to that later. Um, but he, he he did seem as though he'd probably done all he could at Wolves. Uh, they've been punching above the weights. They're, they're a very good team and they've got some very good players. But like getting Europa League football was probably about as far as they could go and they deserve to have it this season. They've they've really not been close to it at all and they've they've been very very tepid to be quite honest. And I know they lost Neto. Uh, no, they didn't lose Neto. Um, they lost Yotta um, last season. And they've scarcely replaced him. And of course, um, the the distress caused by losing Raúl Jiménez has clearly stuck around. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, don't think all the the blame sort of lies just at, at Nuno's door. I know that the fans have been on his back, and it feels like probably the you know the right the right time to sort of part company and let let him move on to a new challenge and let the club. Uh, bring someone else in, but as you say, they've they've lost one of their best players to a different team, and then lost one another to injury for most of the season. So it's it's a bit harsh to expect. You know, these managers aren't miracle workers, right? So there's only so much they can do, and they need they need players available to do that. But yeah, maybe it just feels like perhaps it has gone a bit stale there. So they've probably done the right decision. But oh look, it's another club we're talking about. They need to get the appointment right <laughs> next as well. So um, you know, given it's Wolves, I think we probably know where maybe the nationality. <laughs> You know, we could we could see what the odds are on that, but I don't know if anyone will be taking bets. Um, so uh, yeah, who <laughs> we'll just have we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Well, Jose jumped the gun a little bit, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jose would have been perfect for him. Um, well, I think you know, I think all that is right. Again, I think they did lose players. They lost Jota. They lost Jimenez to injury. They lost Doherty to Spurs. They lost Johnny to injury for much of the season as well. That was four guys who. You know, they're two wing-backs and they're two forwards for basically the last two seasons. They're, they're a team we talked about before, had a very settled lineup for two years. They very rarely changed their first 11 and suddenly taking those guys out. I think we've also touched on the fact that the goalkeeper 
Um, hasn't been as good this year, starting to look his age a little bit in, in Rui Patricio. Um, you know, he's he's well into his 30s now and maybe hasn't had his best season. I know that's not particularly old for a goalkeeper, but the point stands. I think Joao Martinho in midfield really has looked his age this year. There have been times when he looked like he'd, he'd run faster if he stood still. Um, Neves has not had a good year. Neves has not been at the standard that he's had the last two years. Again, has had a couple of niggles, I think, that have affected his performance. And the one I've been really disappointed with is Adama Traore, because I think the second half of last year, he looked like he'd taken that jump from a good player to a difference maker. And he's been really, really disappointing this season. And I think Wolves probably had a lot of hopes pinned on him, having lost um, Jota, as you say, Dan, in terms of the creativity uh, and he's been really disappointing. It did look like it had come to the end for um, for the manager. Uh, he's done a, a brilliant job. I think we should all say that. Completely the, agree. No doubt that Nuno's had an incredible four or five years, whatever it is, at Wolves. Um, and I don't think he's going to Tottenham. I don't know that his next job will be in England. Maybe it will. Uh, but I think for Wolves, there is a risk with bringing a, a manager who's never managed in the Premier League in from abroad, uh, a bit like you, you mentioned the Frank de Boer experience at Crystal Palace. And I think when you think about Nuno, he was almost he had the benefit of his first season being in the Championship, so he got used to English football at that slightly lower level, where Wolves were able to bring in players that were too good for that league. So by the time they came up, they got a settled team, a way of playing, and he knew the English game a little bit. The new manager is going to have to cut his teeth in the in the white hot heat of the Premier League, and if you get that appointment wrong, you know we, we've seen elsewhere with Watford and and uh, Crystal Palace and other examples. You bring a manager in who doesn't know this league and he, he doesn't work it out quickly. You know the Swansea experience with Bob Bradley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not suggesting they're going to bring in someone of that ilk, but it can go wrong really quickly if you get someone who's just out of his depth. What, what what's Jurgen Klinsmann doing? <laughs> He's not Portuguese, Dan. <laughs> well, yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, level on points with um, Wolves, but separated by his goals scored. I think um, Newcastle, and at the risk of incurring the wrath of Newcastle fans, I, I really don't see why Steve Bruce gets so much stick. I, I really don't, Gary. Um, they've finished. Um, Comfortably mid-table. I mean, yeah, they've they've kind of glossed that over with th- three wins in the last five. I I don't know what Newcastle fans want. They don't spend big money because um, they're owned by a parasite. Quite frankly, um, Steve Bruce is rustic, but knows his way around this division, and he's that's his team. They're his team, and I I just don't understand why he gets so much. Disrespect and abuse, and it, you know, it was nice to see um, the Geordies getting behind the, the team when um, they, they had the home game midweek um, and thoroughly enjoyed themselves, no doubt. I, I, I just I, I don't know what Newcastle want. They're a different team when they don't have Callum Wilson and Alan Sam Maximum, and they had long stretches of that this season, which coincides with the bad runs of form that they have. But completely, and, and and you can't expect, can you, Dan? When you're Newcastle with Newcastle's budget, you can't expect to have replacements of the same quality when you lose your two best attacking players. Nowhere near, not not at all. Nowhere near. And if we're being realistic, 
this this pat this kind of like midfield territory of the Premier League mid table is not what I meant not midfield. That is what Newcastle are at the moment, and I, I I just don't see what more they want from Steve Bruce. I I I don't get it at all. Well, if you'd said to me at the start of the season, you know, who were the seven or eight teams who could realistically end up in a relegation dogfight? I'd have probably had Villa, who we'll come on to next in there. They did a bit better than I expected. And then I've had everyone down there except Wolves, who I thought would do better, and Newcastle. And you look at the league table, Newcastle basically finished top of that group. They finished 12th. They finished top of their mini-league, if you like. The, the league of teams that they're in a reasonable position to compete with. They finished top of that, that, that group. Um, I think, you know, you said they, they finished above Wolves on, on goals, uh, goals scored, which, which is true. Um, four of those goals were scored by Joe Linton. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's a miracle <laughs> in itself. Um, and I think six or seven of them were scored by the other Joe, Joe Willock. Um, seven in a row, and, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was seven in a row. And I think yeah, it looks as though Newcastle are desperate to keep him and will be making an offer to Arsenal in the next few days. At the moment, Arsenal are saying, no, 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 we want him back. I suspect that there's a price at which Arsenal will be willing to let him go. Um, but he's, you know, he's an interesting player, Joe Willock, because he isn't, isn't what you think of as a classic Arsenal midfield player. He's not a great technician on the ball, but he's got that David Platt ability to r- arrive in the penalty area at the right time and get on the end of stuff. And he's a decent finisher. Um, and he's made a big difference since he's gone in there. I, There's part of me that would really like to see him go because I think he'd he'd have a really good Premier League career in a team like Newcastle, but maybe you're a bit more direct at times than Arsenal, but we'll get the ball in the box and we'll we'll benefit a midfield runner. Um, and, and I think it'd be a really good signing for him if they can keep hold of him. Uh, but I agree. I mean, I'm a bit of a Steve Bruce fan, I have to say. I, I think you look at all the years Steve Bruce has managed in the Premier League, he's never really had great squads and I think he's okay he's been relegated twice but that's two relegations out of probably 20 odd attempts um and and I think he's he's an underrated manager at that at that bottom end of the Premier League um could Newcastle get one or two more and push into the top 10 next year yes but that will involve the money being made available and as you've already alluded to Dan I'm not sure that will happen yeah, this is it. I think they're operating within within their means. Um, when I think it has been frustrating for for Bruce to get that sort of negative feedback, if we call it, from, from the fans and so on, because I don't. I think there's only so much he can do with the ownership situation as as it is and has been for for a long time now. Um, the only thing I was going to add, um, I think you've both spoken very well about Newcastle, but just I'm sure it was only, a, it seems like a few weeks ago, it was probably a couple of months back, where we, we were saying it might be between Fulham and Newcastle for that final relegation place, which looks laughable when you look yeah. at how the table has finished. You know, they've not only finished six places higher, but I think it's like 17 points or something daft. So I, I think Fulham closed the gap to, to five or six points at one point. The gap between Newcastle and Fulham was was two games, no more than that. And and then Newcastle, again, as Dan said, they've had a good end to the season. Fulham have kind of fell apart a little bit. But yeah, but yeah they've they've as I say, they've finished top of their mini league. What what more do fans expect? Yeah, because again, and we'll come on. You say we'll we'll come on to, to the next club, which is Villa. There's a there's a then a ten point jump, which sort of yeah. emphasises exactly that what you've just been saying, Paul. Can can I just point out before we go on to Villa that the only comparisons between David Platt and Joe Willock are football, not size of head, because there's a significant <laughs> difference between the two. 
Yeah, well, he needed every bit of that head to score that famous winner at Highbury against Man United, Dan, in our double year. So I'll, I'll forgive him. Well, he regularly used to terrify me as part of Roberto Mancini's backroom staff when his head would suddenly appear on the screen when in the dugout. Terrifying. Um, yeah, Villa. Do you know what? As someone who historically doesn't have a lot of time for Villa, um, I think they've been a breath of fresh air this season. Considering they only stayed up on the last day um, in, when was it, July or August, they have come so far in that time. They got themselves a proven goal scorer in... Um, I can't think of his name. What's his name? Ollie Watkins. Watkins. Yeah, they've got themselves a proven goal scorer in Ollie Watkins, and they have played really good attacking football. Quite a a, a brisk attacking counter attacking team, and they will be pretty happy with eleventh. They'll probably feel they could have finished a bit higher. They they they, they flirted with it briefly, but only to kind of get stuck in a gravitational pull towards the kind of key end of the season. But I, I think Villa fans, and I know Matt, Matt Passant, who was our Villa guest earlier in the season, probably be quite happy with, with how their season's gone, especially given how much they've improved since last season when they were right in a relegation scrap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they're they're one of the, the the top sort of improved sides, given that, as you say, they just stayed up by the skin of their teeth. But their, their football's been better their their league position is is a lot better. Um, you know they were they were sort of right up there in the first half of the season. I think it's obviously leveled out as things have gone on and the the crazy results sort of stopped happening. And uh, you know if we're talking about uh, about if we're going to mention embarrassing uh, <laughs> score lines, there, there's one there um, which you're probably aware of, Dan. So, um, but th- but then you know but then things settled down after that international break, didn't they? And it sort of, it was a bit more normal service, but they were able to keep their, you know, keep some of those forms going and having a, a regular goal scorer is always important. It comes up on almost every club because it just is, it's critical between clubs that have decent seasons and ones that don't most of the time. Um, and I think, yeah, Watkins has been a, you know, a real, a, you know, it was a decent size fee, but it's, it's, you know, it's absolutely paid off. And it shows the difference between how Villa are doing it now and how they were doing it in the last few years before their relegation. Uh, because at that point, they got themselves in this horrible cycle of just signing has-beens. So players who were leaving a top six or seven club, Newcastle had a period of doing that as well, and it didn't work for them. Just signing the players who were leaving Chelsea and leaving Arsenal and leaving Man City. And, and that's what they were doing, collecting, you know, the Jolie and Lescott's and the Micah Richards and, and whoever else who were sort of on the way down in their career with the greatest respect to them people who've been good football players in the Premier League for a long time, but were, were struggling at the end of their careers, weren't staying fit, were struggling to contribute in games. And then the big signing they made last summer, they went and got Ollie Watkins from the Championship, a hungry, young English centre-forward. Um, he's got 14 league goals in, in his first season in the Premier League, which is a terrific you know, um, return for him. You look at the other players on the side, obviously Graylish is a quality player. We know all about him. We're not we're not going to go over that in, in huge detail. But John McGinn is a really good player for him in the central midfield. They got him from Hibernian. Um, you know, Matty Cash at fullback, who I think's had a, a really solid year as well. Um, he's a good attacking fullback. He, he creates um, opportunities with the, you know, very much a player who plays on the front foot. He came from 
Forest, I think, again, first experience of being in the Premier League. Uh, Emiliano Martinez in goal has been a massive signing for him. Done a terrific deal to get him from Arsenal. Played every game. They had a real problem, didn't they, last season with goalkeepers. They went Nyland Jabroni. Yeah, they uh, they went through a few who were not very good. Uh, Emmy's been excellent for them. So I, I think they, they've they changed their approach and they are now signing people who are younger and hungrier and with something to prove. And that's the way to go for a club like Aston Villa. Uh, outside chance of the, the, the Euro squad for, for uh, Ollie Watkins? Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see, won't it? I think he gets named tomorrow, but he's definitely he's definitely in with a shot of of the twenty six. Um, if if we then consider the the top half of the table, uh, Everton, 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 sorry, um, <laughs> having won the league in October, uh, I've really come down to a crash. I, I, it, it's easy for me to, to mock mock the Blues, but had they kind of really genuinely competed for a trophy. They would probably have been okay with the league season that they've had, but they didn't, and they've completely bombed a place in Europe, and they had a real chance of that two weeks ago. Um, right, what, what do we think of, of Everton's season? Not good enough, Dan, ultimately, I think is the answer. Uh, they had a very good start. Um, I always thought that start was a little bit of a false dawn. They've struggled mightily at home. Um, they've struggled to score goals when when Calvert Lewin dried up, and I, I you know I don't criticise Calvert Lewin. I think he's had a better season than anyone would have expected at the start. Uh, so it's not on him; it's on the rest of them. No you support know, from Richarlison. Well, exactly. What what's Richarlison been doing for the last twelve months? Because I haven't noticed him making any impact on football matches. Um, you know, I, I don't think the players they signed in the summer. James Rodriguez had a good start when it was nice and sunny. Um, you know, his <laughs> <laughs> his form's tailed off. There's this thing in the last week about him being exhausted. I mean, yeah, it has been. A, it's, it, we've talked about it. A lot of football crammed into a short period of time. First season in the Premier League, it is hard to get used to the the intensity of our division, but. Um, not got enough out of him, not got enough out of some of the other players they, they brought in. I think Ben Godfrey's done okay. There's talk today that he might be an outside candidate for the England squad as well because he can play left-back and centre-half. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the, the one thing I would say, if I'm looking for a positive from Everton from last year to this year, I think Jordan Pickford had a better season. Yeah, he did. Yeah, um... I think Pickford definitely got back to something like his his true form. He had a better season than he did last year. Empty stadiums, beyond, though. Empty stadiums. Yeah, no no pressure from crowds behind the goal. That's a fair point, Dan. But I just I look at Everton and I still Ancelotti and Arteta took over at the same time, if you remember. And I think both of them came into quite disjointed squads that have been built by different managers with different philosophies. Um, and the club had gone through managers quickly. Arsenal obviously went through Wenger and then and then Emery in quick succession. And Everton had had a succession of Koeman and Allardyce and Silva in quick succession. And they both had squads that were slightly piecemeal. I look at Arsenal now, and maybe it's through rose-tinted spectacles, but I start to see a bit more of a direction with where they want to go with the squad. I look at Everton's squad, and it still looks very disjointed to me. Um, you know... They paid all that money for Alex Awobi, and what have they really got out of it? Uh, I, I, a, a boo boy. Yeah. A boo I, boy I, target. I think it's 
difficult to see where Everton are trying to go at this moment in time. And Carlo's a good manager, so it's it's not on him. He's been around long enough. We know he can do it. I don't know that the squad of players is good enough, and I don't know that it's streamlined enough and focused enough and really knows what it's trying to be. And there's, I don't think Carlo's in charge of buying the players. There's people upstairs that are having a say in Mar- that. Marcel Brands is, is the guy who, who does that kind yeah. of thing, apparently. I, I just... I, I struggle to know where Everton are going, if I'm honest with you, Dan. And I'm not just saying that because I know it's music to your ears, but um, <laughs> but I, I just struggle to see what the direction is. Yeah, I was I was almost gonna, gonna say before you started speaking how, how just whole problem like Everton, and it does feel a bit like that. Um, and you know, this the season it started. It's one of those classics started with a bang and ended with a whimper. And you know, getting getting slapped five nil by uh, by the champions elect on the final day is never a you know is never a good look. Um, so yeah, I think that they've had a strange transfer policy, I think, as you've sort of alluded to, Paul, it's almost been like buying, buying players who are available, maybe more than what they need. Um, it perhaps hasn't helped. And then some of those names, you know, you mentioned like Richarlison, Richarlison's a very pop-up player. He has his three games in a row where he scores five goals and everyone says he's the best player in the world. And then you don't see him again for three months. And like, you can't build on that. Like, what do you do with a player like that? You can't, you can't build towards anything with players like that. So um, yeah, it is a tricky one. I, I'm glad it's not my job to try and sort it out. But as you say, they, I don't think they could really get pr- probably a better manager at this stage than Ancelotti. I'm a fan of him. I, I think he's, he's good. Maybe he just needs, you know, a, a, perhaps another summer to work with some of the players, maybe, maybe cut a few loose and, and bring in a couple more um, and have, have another go next year. But yeah, after the early promise, it's uh, yeah, it's ended up being being pretty average for them, really. Pop-up player. I like that, Khan. And to quote Blackadder, I intend to use it in future conversation. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, the team that kind of sneaked above Everton on the last day with a, another win was Leeds. Signs were there in the last three weeks of... Sorry, the last two or three... No, last month of the season that they got their head around how to be attacking and yet not leave themselves wide open at the back. Um they look to me like an upwardly mobile team. Um, I think they may spend a bit of money this summer and look to try and, and, and head towards Europa League football. I, I, again, stick sticks in the um, the throat of a, a Lancashire lad, but uh, fair play to Leeds. They've, they've been really entertaining watch. They've been good value. They've brought something to the league. And yeah, they're, they're in a really good place. Their fans will be ecstatic with the season that they've had. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm loath to to wax lyrical about these too much, Dan, as well. Uh, but it's undeniable. I mean, they've finished really strongly um, as well, which has enabled them to, as you say, you know, jump into the into the top half. You know, I think they won the last four, um, finishing ninth place for a newly promoted team. You know, if you finish in the top half as a newly promoted team, you, you know, you've done a lot of things right. Um, Leeds undoubtedly have, and they, they've, you know, they, they've looked really, really good. And as you say, I think they are upwardly mobile. Is exactly the way. To describe it, I think um, the only thing they might need to watch out for is, you know, some of those players will be on other clubs' radar, um, and I don't know if they'll necessarily have the, you know, the, the sort of pockets deep enough necessarily, maybe to keep if, if offers come in. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but as you say, they'll probably be looking to do some business themselves as well. Um, you know, I think they've they've been they don't have a huge squad, but I, and I think they've been. I don't want to say lucky with injuries, but they haven't. It feels like they've mostly been able to field their, their sort of first eleven, you know, most of the time. Um, which has probably helped as well, that stability. Um, 
you know, they've got a great manager and, and the players clearly, you know, love him and, and, and enjoy playing for him. You know, Patrick Bamford was was speaking about it after the game yesterday as well, that, you know, he's uh, he demands a lot, but, they, you know, they clearly have got the rewards right at top half finish. Uh, is you know is fantastic. So um, yeah, it does very much feel like it would just be a summer of of building, and you know they 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 could potentially be right up there. You know again in that sort of area next season, and I'm sure you know the next thing will be you know can we sneak into? I know we joke about the Europa Conference or whatever, but that would be a sign of of that sort of upward mobility, and I'm sure there'll be talk of of trying to make that that next step uh, next season. They had the most points for a newly promoted team since Ipswich in 2001. Um, well, there you go. So, so you know that that t- takes some doing. I want to go back to sort of January time when January February when I think they got slapped at Manu, didn't they? Did they get beat six two at Manu? Something like that. And yeah. I think they lost five two at the Emirates, and and they got bashed by somebody else in the same period. And all these pundits on the television, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher and the rest of them, were saying, "You're too open. That you can't play like that. You can't play." Leeds United have come out of the championship and finished ninth in the Premier League, right? They've done it playing an attractive brand of football that people enjoy watching. Who cares if they lose 6-2 to teams who who should be better than them? Who cares? Why does it matter? Why does it matter if they lose 6-2 at Old Trafford, giving it a go? What would be better? Would Jamie Carragher prefer them to go and play like, you know, I don't know, like, like Newcastle sometimes play away from home with 11 behind the ball? Like, I, I get the criticism that, oh, they're too open and, and they never change the way they play and they play the same way against everybody. That's a fair criticism if you're talking about Fulham, who've only won five games. It's not a fair criticism of the best newly promoted team in 20 years. Leeds United have had an unbelievable season. They've got an unbelievable manager. If they keep him, they are going to be a top-half team in the Premier League again next season. Take the point about other clubs looking at their players. But I think the players love playing for him as well. So, yeah. you know, there's been talk that Spurs have got their eye on Bamford if Kane moves on. Um, and I, I do sort of see the comparison. He's obviously not as good as Harry Kane, not at all. But I, I see the stylistic comparison. Um you know, but I, I think it'd have to be a, a top club for some of those players to leave because they they really seem to enjoy playing together. They've got a great squad, dynamic, terrific manager. I can't speak highly enough of Leeds. And I think having a go at them because they got smashed by a couple of good teams, uh, you know, two of the, the biggest clubs in the country uh, in, in January and February was completely nonsensical. Um, and it just shows that, these days, in the way that we cover football, we need a story every week. So Leeds get beat 6-2 and they're the story. Well, you know, it, when you look at it in the context of the season, it's a minor blip on what's been a phenomenal year. And it wasn't even worth the 20 minutes that Gary Neville spent on Monday Night Football ripping them apart. Because, uh, frankly, that time would have been better spent talking about, you know, tiddlywinks or something. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll go straight back to you, Paul. Um, Arsenal, a lot of wins at the end of the season when the pressure's off and there's nothing to play for. Is that kind yeah, of one... systematic of, of the way Arsenal are? Or... So, well, similar to Leeds, Leeds won the last four, Arsenal won the last five. Um, I'm, I'm slightly less passionate in my defence of Arsenal than I was in my defence of Leeds, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, I think... Look, at the start of the season, I, I think probably 6th to 8th was where I thought Arsenal would be. We're at the bottom, 
sort of the bottom end of that, I suppose. Um, I didn't know yesterday whether I really wanted us to finish seventh because I, I think, and I've said it before, I think Arsenal will benefit from playing one game a week next season. There's some examples to look back on. Jurgen Klopp's first full season at Liverpool. They weren't in Europe. They played once a week. They got themselves back into the top four after a few years out. Um, Brendan Rodgers' first season at Leicester played once a week. I know they blew it at the end and they did that again yesterday. We'll come to that. But but they played one game a week. I think it will help Mikel Arteta playing one game a week next year. Uh, they, they still have some issues, Arsenal. They need to get more out of some of the big players. Aubameyang didn't do enough this year. Thomas Party didn't do enough for someone they spent 50 million quid on. Um, but they have got, the, I think, the third best record in the league since Boxing Day. Um, there's only City and United who've taken more points since Boxing Day. That was a point at which Smith Rowe came into the side. He's been a breath of fresh air. Bukayo Sack has been our best player this season by an absolute country mile. I think he's one of the best players in the Premier League. Um, to be honest, I think we'll be lucky to keep him if we have another season where we finish 7th or 8th because I think he'd get in almost any team in the league. He can play left-back, he can play left-wing, he can play right-wing. Um, Kieran Tini's had a great season at left-back. He is probably the one player that you'd immediately take out of the Arsenal team and put in the Man City team and say he's an improvement. Um, so so there are some young pieces there, but there, there are still a lot of areas that they need to solve. Um and and I think it's a fair point to say that they, they played better at the end of the season when the kind of pressure was off. I, I think also, in fairness, the fixture list always set up that way, that they had a nice run-in. Um, the frustration was that they couldn't keep themselves closer to the pace so that that run-in could actually count for something. Um, they need to get off to a better start next year. I mean, the, the Christmas time, when we lost to Everton on the 19th of December, we were four points above the relegation zone. Um, if they're anywhere close to that at December next year, Mikel Arteta won't still be in a job. So um, he needs to get off to a fast start. They need to take some of this momentum forward. The, the second half of the season they've had, some of the players that have stepped up, whether it's Smith-Rowe, whether it's, you know, he's not my my mate, but Nicola Pepe's had a good last two months of the season. He's ended up with 10 Premier League goals this year. So, you know, I have to take my hat off to him and say he's, he's played better than than he'd shown previously. Uh, they need him to continue to kind of kick on in that regard, maybe score some goals against teams who aren't in the bottom half of the league. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, it's a big season for Arteta next year. This one was always going to be a bit of a freebie. As long as he finished top seven, eight, nine, it was always going to be a bit of a freebie because there was a lot of work that needed doing in terms of clearing the decks. Next season, he will have to show very real progress. There'll be fan, be and there'll be fans in as well next season. And there'll season. be fans in the stadiums, yeah. It, it won't just but, be the Arsenal fan TV goons. No, indeed. Um, and so they need to make a step next year from at least into the top six. I think sixth is the minimum expectation next season for Arsenal. Anything less than that, and I think they'll probably have a new manager the year after. Um, speaking of the new managers, who's getting the Tottenham job? Because they have qualified for the fizzy pop GM Europa Vauxhall conference thing, give me Bob, but uh, whether they go, they've had a, a nutcase season. They have. I mean, they're another one. How do you, how'd you solve a problem like Tottenham? I mean, what... What what do they what do they want? I don't I don't really know. I feel like they, you know, they they brought in Jose, which I think we all one of those appointments where you could you could see the writing on the wall. Did, you know, was it really worth getting rid of him when they did? Doesn't really feel like it. 
feel like they probably should have given him the season, all honesty. Um, but they they pulled the trigger for reasons best known to Daniel Levy. Um, he now, and as you say, they've qualified for a, a version of European football, um, if we call it that. And yeah, they need to get that appointment right. Um, you know, I think we always felt that Mourinho probably wasn't a natural fit. And I guess ultimately you'd say he wasn't. Um, so I think there's two big things really with, with, with Spurs. One is the manager and of course the other is Harry Kane. Um, it, it sounds like he's going um where to we don't know and then it's a case of well how much can they get for him and what can they get with that money given it's perhaps going to be another maybe strange summer in terms of uh in terms of transfers and so on there the, you know there aren't loads of obvious great center forwards uh, out there to get and the ones that do that, that do exist their clubs will fight tooth and nail to keep them so um, it's a big, big player for them to replace if he does end up going. And I think that's, you know, sort of perhaps replacing him is, is yeah, as important as getting in uh, getting in a manager um, who's going to perhaps be there for a bit more of a, a long term. Well, you said, um, Dan, earlier that Everton won the league in October. I think Spurs won it in November. Um, if you remember, they went top in November and, they, and this was Jose Magic. Uh, and it all kind of fell apart from there on in. Um I mean, Harry Kane is the big question mark. He's irreplaceable for a club like Spurs. There's just they they cannot buy somebody as good as Harry Kane, even if they spend all the money they've got. He he's that good, and the players who are better than him, with the greatest respect in the world, will probably have bigger suitors than Tottenham. Um, so it, it will be a big loss. Can they reconfigure the side? I think is the question to try and make up for that loss. I think it's probably fair to say as well that they won't be bringing Gareth Bale back on another season loan because um, that, you know, I know he scored two goals yesterday, but that hasn't really worked out the way they'd have hoped. Um, I think the middle midfield's a problem, um, and Dembélé had a decent run earlier in the year, but then his form, you know, failed again, faded away. I think. Hoiberg passes sideways as though it's an addiction. Uh, they they really haven't got a quality player. It was good to see Bayern Mason bring Deli Alley back into the um, picture at the end of the season because I'm a big Deli Alley fan. I think he's a really good footballer, and I don't really know what the deal was with Jose, but we know Jose does this, doesn't he? he just decides he doesn't like people. <laughs> Deli Alley was he picks one. someone out. Yeah, he picked someone out, and it was Luke Shaw at United, and it was Dealey Alley at Spurs. And, um, yeah, I think they've got to get the managerial appointment right. I don't know where they go. It feels like they're going to go for somebody with experience in the Premier League, though, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like Spurs are going to go for somebody completely untested in our football. Um, that's not been the the model under Daniel Levy. You know, you think about uh, Pochettino, and you think about... Um, Harry Redknapp, and you think about Villas Boas, and you think about, uh, um, you know, even Tim Sherwood's brief stint. He, he's generally not gone for people who've never been in the Premier League before. Uh, so I would expect it. It probably is somebody like a uh, Scott Parker or a, a Graham Potter or maybe a Nuno. Although I'm not sure, I really see that. Eddie Howe, I, I actually think would be a good fit there, but it does look as though Celtic might be might be where he's going to end up. Um, but yeah, interesting times at Tottenham. Um, feels like a bit of an era's ended with, with that group of players, and I think Kane going would be symbolic of that. They need to sort of start and rebuild the squad a little bit and replenish it. 
One one team who and one manager um, you've got to give a lot of praise to is David Moyes at West Ham. A uh, winner. Uh, the winner who has never won anything but is a winner nonetheless. Um, all I can say is fair play. Um, I actually tipped them on this podcast to go down and they have actually got into the Europa League and only missed out on the Champions League places by a couple of points in the end. Um, they, they deserve a lot of credit for, for what they've done. Um, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that their owners will, will spend enough to get them competing and we all know that the Europa League takes a toll on league seasons and squads so it'll be interesting to see how West Ham react to that over the summer but they deserve a lot of praise and a lot of credit for what they've done Yeah they, they really do, I stopped short of saying it uh, about Aston Villa because West Ham are the most improved side uh, this season they've they've done done fantastically well you know, sixth place is, is, is amazing particularly given the, I think, fairly low I, don't, I, I didn't think they'd go down but they certainly, you know most people probably thought they'd be lucky to maybe finish 10th. Um, so to finish 6th, then actually a good 6th in terms of points, right? So as you say, they're literally just a couple of points off the Champions League spots. Um, that says that says a heck of a lot. Um, I think they, they won half their games, um, which is always going to put you, you know, somewhere up, up there in the mix. So it's, you know, it's fair play. I, I am, you know, we, we joke about David Moyes, but I am pleased for him. Um, I think they've, they've played some good stuff. They've got some good players there. The likes of Suchek's had a really good season, and of course Jesse Lingard going on loan, sort of, uh, has sort of re- really, you know, given him the impetus he needed in his career as it was stalling a bit. Being on the bench at United, I think it'll be, you know, that's a, a point for them. It's can can they find a deal to to get him over there? Um, the, you know, the reports so far are saying that the numbers aren't quite right, but maybe as the summer goes on. Um, and also be interesting to see if he makes the squad and what he does perhaps in the Euros as well, um, as he was a big player for England a couple of years ago. So there's that there's that angle to it. Uh, but yeah, I think ultimately, yeah, and absolutely, you know, they've they've, they've overachieved and it's it's a terrific season. And you'd, you'd have you'd have to be happy if you're a hammer. I think. <laughs> I mean, I agree with what Khan said about West Ham. I think um, David Moyes has done a really good job. I think the way he's got the best out of Mikel Antonio has been a real credit to him, um, really used him in a way that uh, accentuates his strengths and sort of mitigates his weaknesses, because I don't think anyone would confuse Mikel Antonio with the most technically skillful player in the in the Premier League, but um, he's got, he's a, a strong runner, he holds the ball up well, he's a competitor, he's decent in the air, and I think Moyes sort of moving into centre-forward has been a masterstroke. But I think their summer and the next season for West Ham comes down to two players. Can they get Jesse Lingard and can they keep Declan Rice? And I think they are the two questions that will run for, I think, quite a lot of the summer. I expect that the Lingard deal will happen, but I think, as Khan said, it's not going to happen immediately. I think it may take some, some months to come together. And I think with Declan Rice, there will be suitors. I think Chelsea will be back in, in a big way for Declan Rice. Um, and I think West Ham are going to have to fight tooth and nail to keep them at the club yeah uh, big big summer ahead for West Ham um, in, in fifth place and in, also in the Europa League Leicester I would probably argue if I was a Leicester fan that I would probably have taken European football and winning um, our first ever FA Cup because th- that's ultimately what football is about winning trophies um, but I, I think missing out on the Champions League on the last day again, especially when it was in their own hands for, for much of the afternoon. Uh, I, I think that's probably going to stick in, in throats. 
Yeah, they've they've I believe Dan they spent more days in the top four than any other team over the course of the season, and then sort of lost it in the final week. Uh, you know, it was in their own hands going into the final week of the season. They lost at Chelsea. And then Chelsea being 2 0 down at Aston Villa, it was kind of back in their own hands. They just had to see the game out against Spurs. And, you know, Kasper Schmeichel was a hero last week, was a villain this week, made a, made a mistake, scored no goal. And I think as soon as it went 2 2, I thought Spurs were bound to win this game now. And in the end, Leicester just collapsed, didn't they, at the end? Uh, lost six of their last 13. It was a similar story last year. That's, that's not good enough. I'm not sure how many more chances Leicester are going to get to get into the Champions League. They've had two great opportunities the last two years, not been able to make it stick. You know, Jamie Vardy can't go on forever as good as he is and replacing him is a huge ask. Uh, but you're absolutely right, Dan. If you'd said to any Leicester fan at the start of the season, you'll finish fifth and win the FA Cup, will you sign for that? They'd have snapped your hand off. Of course. Um, and, you know, you can't... They beat Chelsea in an FA Cup final. It's not like they won an FA Cup final against a championship team where they, they'd looked into it. They beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final. That's a memory that those Leicester fans who were there, the Leicester fans who watched on TV, will never, ever forget. Um, and while it doesn't have the same longevity of impact on the football club financially and reputationally as getting into the Champions League would, uh, you know, football is about winning trophies and Leicester won one. Yeah, it, it, it is, and I think it's yeah, it's, it's having your it's having your name next to something, isn't it? You know, you don't get your name next to fourth place in the sort of history books. It just that you know, doesn't doesn't have the same impact. So I think, and I think that in this era of like of the club and of the ownership of the club to have won the you know the Premier League and the FA Cup in that time as well. Um, I know I know there's been some turnover of players because um, it's been what five years, wasn't it, since the since they won the league? But I think that that in itself is you know is a great achievement, and they have still got. European football I think it's it's probably just more the manner of it right that for two years in a row they've got like so so close and, and yeah. missed out I mean that that must be you know despite winning an FA Cup that must still be pretty hard to take um, and I think you know it's just missing that opportunity you know we talked before I think you spoke about this on one of the the, the shows I've missed Paul around you know how that you know that Leicester team is a really good team um, and about how they are becoming established and the best way to really sort of prove yourself and move yourself on to the next level is, is to be in the Champions League and, and testing yourself, um, you know, against those better teams um, as well. And obviously they'll, they'll miss out on the opportunity to do that. Um, but I think, you know, there's still loads and loads of positives there. And I guess it's just a case of just have to try and have a crack again next year um, and see how they do. But I mean, I think it will be tougher. You know, it, it, it feels like it with the Premier League every season, it's tougher and tougher to, to, to be good because there's always just so much competition. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy job, but I think they just need to yeah dust themselves down, go again. Um, I think we we keep coming back to the Vardy question. Um, we've already talked about how sourcing a, a good centre forward is very very difficult, so they need to figure out what they're going to do about that. But what you could say is that they are finishing at that business end of the table, so they could that will help them. You think you think to to attract um, you know someone decent, but obviously there's no unlike Harry Kane at Spurs, there's no sale value from Vardy, right? So they also have to figure out where they're getting the money from. Uh, to enable them to do that. And again, there's players there that other clubs will be looking at, and the likes of Fafana has had a great first year. Um, uh, even more impressive for me than, than Sion Chu was last year. He's He's been great. I think Tillemans has, has been outstanding, and there'll be clubs who have a, an eye on him for sure. Uh, 
again, I've even heard Liverpool's name linked linked with him, Dan. I don't know if you've heard that, but um, uh, you know, there will be clubs looking at those Leicester players and uh, Leicester need to keep the squad together and go again, but it will be tougher because Chelsea are going to go again. They've got a better manager than they had this time last year. You know, Liverpool are going to have their centre-halves fit. Manchester United have clearly taken a step forward. And if Manchester City finish out of the top four next year, then something's gone hideously wrong somewhere. So, you know, I, I, I think those four that are in the, at the moment that we're about to come on to, they're going to be tough to shift next season for anybody and, and Leicester included. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, really considering this was the season where there was no fans and it was an opportunity for change, we look at the top four... It's the same top four that we've we had the season before, just in a different order. Um, it's a bit difficult to assess Chelsea's season at the moment, so we'll, we'll keep it brief on them because they have that final on Saturday um, that could completely transform their season. Given the amount of money that Frank Lampard spent and where they were when Thomas Tuchel took over, I think Chelsea would probably be happy just getting in that top four. Um, they'll feel they should have beaten Leicester. Um, yeah, they will definitely feel. Like they have a chance to beat Man City, but um, really, I, I think the top four are all probably happy with their respective seasons in the end because ultimately it's all about that Champions League football. And Chelsea have managed to get it irrespective of what happens on Saturday. And at one point, they were not in that conversation. Yeah, no, that, that's right, Dan. I mean, we you know we we spoke quite a bit around the, the Lampard situation before he went around what options Chelsea might have had and whether they should or shouldn't get rid of him. I, I do feel that actually the decision has been vindicated. You know, they've, they've, they've finished fourth. They've got to a, a cup final, which, OK, they didn't win. And now they have a, a great opportunity to, as you say, completely sort of rewrite the narrative of their of their season. Um, I think all I was going to say with that is as well is, you know, it's a bit of a free hit in a way as well for Chelsea, that game, because no one expected Chelsea to be in a Champions League final. But but there they are. Um, so whether that will will play into their hands or whatever we'll, we'll wait and see I think it's going to be a fascinating game um, but I think either way the fact that they've managed to get 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 fourth is is, is the key thing because it just means there's no you know they don't have to panic or start to worry about you know revenues or whatever they can carry on as they will they will have been planning and and I think they'll they'll go again next season under under Tuchel for sure I think my only thing is they, they do still feel like a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde side but again, with a, with a summer to work with the players, you'd hope that he can sort of iron that out and figure out, you know, what what team he wants to be playing next season, um, and if they could introduce, uh, find a way for for Timo Werner to introduce, say, uh, Cow's Bottom with a, a banjo, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be helpful as well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, maybe a bit of target practice over the summer after the Euros could be uh, could be could be worth doing there. Yeah, and, and I think I think similarly on on Chelsea, um, I, I do feel sort of quite similar to Khan as to where they are and, and where they're heading. Um, I think realistically they need to uh, be more consistent. They have been a bit too Jekyll and Hyde still. Um, I, I think interestingly, when when Lampard was there, the problem was they didn't keep enough clean sheets. The problem, if anything, when Tuchel's taken over is I'm not sure they create enough chances. They've definitely tightened up at the back. They've been much better defensively second half of the season. And they needed that. And they needed that much more organised. I wonder about the forward players. Havertz has been in and out. Werner's been awful. Um, Pulisic hasn't looked the same player as he looked at the back end of last season. Um, Mason Mount's been the one sort of consistent one in in that attacking third of the pitch. Um, I feel that Hudson Adoy's probably deserved a few more chances than he's been given. I'm not quite sure what what the crack is there, but I always feel as though he gets slightly harshly treated. He feels like even if he comes in and plays while he gets left out, 
Tammy Abraham seems to not be Tuchel's cup of tea. Olivier like Giroud, I think, is probably is probably going to be moving on. I think his contract's up. So, and that's the question mark at Chelsea is, can they sort the forward end of the pitch out? And they've got players with quality, but can they find the right combination? And I think they need a centre-forward, because I'm not sure Werner's it. Well, I think Werner might prove to be a Premier League player. But I think it's as the outside of a three up front. I don't think he's going to be a centre forward in this well, league. I just, I just don't see it. Just the last, the last word on Chelsea. Then, if there's a conversation to be had with Harry Kane, I think that Chelsea will will be in the. Whether Tottenham will do business with them is an entirely different thing, but they they will be in for Harry Kane. Yeah. Um, that takes us then to. Uh, I, th- I think I think I might take the lead here. Um, if you'd have told me in April that we were going to finish in third, I would have laughed at you. Um, as it turns out, we've managed to win eight of our last ten games. Really, but for a couple of poor late goals that we gave away against um, Leeds and Newcastle, we would have finished top four a, a while back. Um, yes, it's down to Leicester and, to a lesser extent, Chelsea having a poor end to the season where we've managed to reel them back in, but... You know what? Given this, the situations that we've had, we've, our, our central defence was destroyed. Uh, we signed Thiago to kind of deal with these um, low block teams. Uh, he was crocked in a pretty horrendous tackle at Goodison Park. Um, we've had all these injuries. We then stripped apart our top class midfield to patch up the defence, and it's just been a nightmare of a season. We've had. Players losing parents. We've had managers losing parents. It's just been a horrendous year for Liverpool since um, just 2021 is a season that I will want to forget. I'm not so sure I ever will be able to forget it because I will always go back to that well to think, can things get any worse? And I'm not so sure things can get any worse than this season. It's been horrific. Um, Really finishing in the top four was the best that we could do. Uh, I didn't like that we weren't out to the Champions League. I do think Chelsea would have beaten us if we'd have beaten Madrid. But we've got over the line. We've got fourth. Um, Alisson sent Sam Allardyce packing pretty much with his significant tail between his legs. And yeah, even even last Sunday when when Alisson was coming up for that corner, if he'd have said to me we'd have finished in the top four, I'm not so sure I would have believed it but yeah we did uh, Paul and Khan you both said we'd win out and we did and even if we hadn't won out we, we would have still managed to carry in the top four <laughs> you just snuck in anyway yeah. I, I think I mean I completely agree with everything you've said about the injuries at Liverpool this year Dan my only caveat with that is I think the two years previously Liverpool were extremely fortunate with injuries and it almost felt like they'd done a bit of a deal with the devil but if you can keep all our players fit and we'll, we'll win the Champions League and the Premier League in consecutive years um, you you know, you take a year of not having that same look and finishing third. Um, and it, it feels like they almost had three seasons worth of injuries in one season. That is what it's looked like from the kind of outside perspective. It's been ridiculous. Um, it, it has been ridiculous. And clearly, you know, especially Van Dijk and Henderson, they're not just any players either. They are the two most important leaders in the team, leaders in the dressing room. To lose them for long periods of time would hurt any team. Um I, I consistently have said I didn't think there's a lot wrong at Liverpool. I, I've been relatively consistent on that, even when it did look bad. 
I, I don't think there's huge things wrong at Liverpool. I think there's still a lot of good players there. You know, they've, they're not that lot far removed from being very impressive champions of England. Uh, I think some of their best players maybe haven't quite had their best seasons. The, the goalkeeper. Sadio, Sadio Mane, I think the goalkeeper. Yeah, I, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, although I know he's come again in the last sort of two or three months, but, but had a disappointing season by his standards. And I actually think Thiago, you know, hasn't quite been the player they hoped they were buying. Um, again, last Premier three months League, he has, but yes, the Premier League's an adjustment. The yeah. Premier League is an adjustment coming in from the Bundesliga or elsewhere. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot wrong. I think Liverpool will be in the title race next year. Um, I don't think, you know, when I look at their squad, I don't think they need huge strengthening. I think another another centre half probably, um, given that the injuries that Gomez and Matip consistently seem to get. Van Dijk's is a bit different. This is a bit of a one-off for him. But Matip and Gomez only ever seem to play half a season each anyway um, with their injury problems. I think another centre-back probably is is required. I know, you know, Nat Phillips has, has done a, a respectable fill-in job, but I, I don't think he's a player you can rely on if you're going to try and win a Premier League. Um, and I think probably another another option at fullback. They they still feel a little bit like their fullbacks are Robertson and Trent and then some other people. Um and I think they 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 could still strengthen further there. Um middle of midfield I think get their players back they'll be okay. Losing Wijnaldum it looks like he's gonna to go to Barcelona. That's a blow. I think I think he's been a really, really good player for Liverpool. Um they might want to add one more body in there, but but it's not a summer where Liverpool need to go and sign four players to go straight into the first team to get them back into contention. They just need to get their players fit yeah, and and sign either Haaland or Mbappe, preferably. Well, I mean that that'd help, that'd help. But then I think you could say that about most teams in the league, Dan. I think you know, I think if you put. Mbappe at centre forward for Arsenal, they probably think they got off a chance of finishing in the top four. Um, you know, the uh, the the you know clearly that'd help. But I I think realistically, just two or three small improvements in other areas will, will be good enough for Liverpool. I, I've heard Bissouma's name and I've heard uh, Konata, the centre half from from Leipzig. They're, they're the two names I've heard consistently for the last few months. So I would expect something to happen with them. And if not, Kanata, maybe we will go uh, in for, for Rosan Kabak, who is not, considering he's, he's only 21, you know, like that, that kid's got a lot of talent. I just think he lacks that, that bit of pace to play in our high back line. Yeah, I don't think he's a natural fit for what Klopp wants to do myself. Yeah, I think all, all, all I'll say on, on Liverpool, Dan, is you know a, a nightmare where you finish third is probably a nightmare most 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 people would take, right? So I think uh, <laughs> I think Paul and I have both said it's not as bad as you make out, and I think the fact that you finished third, you know, kind of demonstrates that a little bit. Really, I think um, you know next next season I, I fully expect you to uh, you know to sort of you know go again and sort of pick up where you left off at the end of last season, uh, more or less. Well, thankfully, I renewed my season ticket yesterday. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't tick the auto cup ticket scheme if we were playing FC upside down shopping trolley or bin bag United in the uh, the Europa Conference. But that that's not been a, a concern for a while. Um, Can bin face United? <laughs> well, <laughs> bin face United are, are in the uh, the Europa League poll. Uh, bin bag United are in the uh, 
the Europa Conference. Uh, Khan, we'll, we'll, we'll play this bit of tennis and hit it back over to you for, for United in second. Yeah, well, indeed. I mean, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it fairly brief, in all honesty, because we, you know, obviously, do we do touch on our, our own team sort of fair bit through the season. But um, I think it, it's been a season of progress, right? We've we've got we've gone up a place from from third to second, largely perhaps due to what we were just talking about with with Liverpool. Um, and we, you know, we finished. I think it's with eight eight more points, so it, it's a pro- improvement across across the board. Um, I think it's clear that. Things are um, going in an upward trajectory, and there is some continuity, and which we haven't really had, you know, since Alex Ferguson left. Basically, um, I think it's it's clear that you know Solskjaer's, you know, what he's trying to do, and he's been able to bring in, um, you know, I think largely some good, you know, good signings to do that as well. Um, so I, I think you know every, every sort of right-minded fan just has to kind of back this this project if we use modern footballing terms um and just just you know let 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 him keep going i think yeah the the only sort of concern is the point i've just made about you know we finished second this season because we there's been a gap there because of all the problems at liverpool which i don't think will be there next year and i think chelsea will be strong as well so as i've said before it's not going to get any easier for any of the teams around there we can't rest on our laurels um i think with the still areas that that need to be addressed you know central midfield centre-half, you know, right wing, there's still positions there, make a decision on the goalkeeper. Um, you know, there's things that need to be looked at uh, over the summer. But, uh, you know, getting Cavani, you know, Cavani's been outstanding, particularly second half of the season when he's been fit. Um, he's had a really strong finish to the season. We've signed him up for another year. You know, really interested to see what he's going to do. Um, not sure what's going to happen with Martial. Um, he's, he's sort of become a bit of a peripheral figure very quickly. Um, so, yeah, maybe a decision might need to be made there as well. Um, but uh, overall, I, I'm feeling sort of re- really good about things. We've obviously got the, uh, you know, should mention we've obviously got a, a cup, a cup final, European final um, in, a, in a couple of days as well. So um, that gives an opportunity to, to bring some silverware in, which I think would be a really good sort of vindication. We're talking before about how you know winning trophies is what's important, and at a club like Man United, it undoubtedly is. Um, so I think that would be a you know a fitting end to the to the to the season we've had, and you know hopefully. Uh, you know, sort of give give Ole a bit a bit of further backing as well, and to keep doing what he's doing. But yeah, overall, I'm feeling you know feeling really positive about things. I think it's been a you know a good a good good season overall. Still have been a few bad results, you know, as some of them mentioned earlier at the start of this. So kind of ironing that out and being able to uh, you know get get you know win the games that we sort of should be winning, if you like. We do still slip up, um, and and also performing a bit better against some of the. Uh, you know, we've mentioned around the top four, you know, the sort of top four and top six teams, too many nil-nils or, or, or games we don't win there. There's, there's improvement to be made there as well. But um, yeah, overall, feel like we're definitely going in the right direction and, and happy with this, how the season's gone. And not let Denver oh. Bar run a full full length of a pitch, Cam. That, 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 would, that would help. <laughs> home form's a big thing for me for Manchester United. Um, mm. they've, they've done an unbeaten season away from home. Now, I know we did that twice in, in 02 and obviously in 04. Uh, I don't know if it's been done any other times. It might it might be only the third or fourth time it's been done in the Premier League era, certainly. It is not easy to go a Premier League season away from home without losing a game. Um, but then you lose at home to Sheffield United. So, you know, you've, you've got <laughs> yeah, to balance exactly. that. You've got to balance that out. And home form is generally the one that's easier to correct, especially getting fans back in the stadiums next season. That, that should help. Um but yeah, generally, I think I think it has been a season of steady progress in Manchester United. Um, I, I do think it'll be tougher next year. I think Liverpool will be better. I think Chelsea will try and take another step forward. 
I, I think the last couple of games has shown to me that as much as he gets criticised, and sometimes rightly, Man United are a better team when Harry Maguire is in it than when he's not. Uh, I'm, I've still got very little faith in Lindelof and, and Eric Bay as, as Premier League centre-halves, uh, certainly at that top, top Premier League level. Um, yeah, they need to decide is Henderson the goalkeeper for them for the long term. Uh, I would give a shout-out to Scott McTominay because I think I, I gave him some stick earlier in the season, Con, and you said... I think he's better than you give him credit for. And he's he's definitely had a good second half of the season. A good probably second and third, thirds of the season. He had a slow start, but he's played well since then. And I think he deserves a bit more recognition than, than maybe he gets. I think he's been one of United's better players. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I think actually you've, you've touched on something else there as well. Like we do need to start better because we, we had a slow start this season. And we did the season before, but that's something else we need to really hit the ground running. Um, which will will have, a, I think, a massive impact and build up some momentum from the start rather than wait until November to start playing like we did this season. Um, so I think that's, that's something to be looked at as well. And yeah, I think you're right on the centre-half situation. Uh, Maguire's not the best in the world, but I, I, I think he's, he's, he's solid enough and I think he's a, he's, a, he's, he's, he's a good sort of leader on the pitch as well. We've signed Bailly up uh, again. I'm, I'm not entirely sure why, um, but clearly he's not going anywhere. Whether we'll bring someone else in to just give a bit more competition there. I'm not sure. You know, we're always linked with with centre halves, but um, you know, we haven't uh, we haven't made a move for anyone since since Maguire. So we'll wait and see if that becomes a priority for the summer. But there are other areas that need looking at, which I'd say probably is maybe slightly higher priority um, than just centre half. If we kind of move on to the the end of this mammoth topic, um, Manchester City, Paul, you predicted that they would win the league in our pre-season predictions, um, and they've won it actually by less points than um, Liverpool did the season before. We won it by 18, they've won it by 17, um, which is is a, a big surprise, really. They kind of took the foot off the gas at the end. Uh, I think, again, their season will be defined by the game on Saturday, but they are worthy champions, and yeah, it, it's tough handing the trophy over, uh, especially a trophy I never got to see. But, yeah, um, Manchester City deserved to win the lead. They've been the better team all season. Yeah, I mean, third time in four years. It's the least impressive of the, of the three when you look at pure points tallies. You know, did they win it with 100 and then 99 or 98 the, the first two times under Pep? This is an 86-point title win. That's much more in the realms of normal, if, if that makes sense, in, in the Premier League era. Um, they've still won it by a fair distance. Uh, they had that unbelievable run, didn't they, where they won 15 in a row. Um, that was the turn. The turning point of their season was that first half at Stamford Bridge at Christmas, where they just blew Chelsea away. And it was the first time in about a year you looked at Man City and went, "That's the Man City we sort of expect to see for the money they've spent and for the players they have." Um, and, I, and I think you know there've been some really encouraging performances. Ruben Diaz has been voted Football Writers Player of the Year. He's been a really good addition. I think Ilkay Gundogan, who's not always been a player I've been a massive fan of, but I think he had a brilliant run for them in that in that period when they were on that good run of games, um, an important player in their season. Uh, and they've sort of stepped up, and we always talk about City needing to replace those leaders, the companies and the Toure's and the Silvers and the Agueros, who, you know, as of now, Agueros got one game left, but they're pretty much all done at Manchester City. Um and De Bruyne has stepped up, but they were looking for some others. And Diaz seems to have stepped into that role. Gundogan a little bit this year as well. Uh, I think Phil Foden's really shown this year what an exciting prospect he is for the, the next decade. Uh, I expect 
you know, I think it was officially his third title with Manchester City, but it was his first as a real contributor to the first team. I don't think it'll be the last. Um, they are the team to beat for everybody else next season. They need a centre forward. I'm on record as saying that's where I think Harry Kane will end up. And I think it might be the one time that Manchester City are willing to break the £100 million barrier and go and break the bank. I think Harry Kane in that team will probably score 40 goals. Yeah, I think, you know, a good summary. I mean, you know, you, you, you're you right, Dan, what you said that, you know, they are they are the worthy champions, you know, fair play. I think, um, you know, it took them a little bit to get going, but but once they did, um, as, as as Paul mentioned, they just sort of motored through and, and, and it's looked quite comfortable for them in the end. Uh, they will have more competition next season, no doubt about it, but equally, you know, we they'll no doubt be flexing their muscles and I, I wouldn't all be surprised to see Kane go there as well. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Chelsea would probably be sniffing around, you know, United might even throw the hat in the ring, but I, I, I suspect that it might be one where they, they sort of forget about the rule book for a second and, and go and spend that big money on him. Um, particularly given with, you know, where finances are now, it might be a bit of a, uh, bit of a buyer's market as well, potentially. So they might not, you know, they probably still have to spend a lot, but they might not be able to, you know, might not have to pay the, the sort of exorbitant amounts they might have had to say a couple of years ago. Um, but it is, you know, I know they've, they've managed to cope without Aguero this season. I don't think that's sustainable. I think they, you know, they do need to get someone in. Um, so yeah, we'll wait and see what they do. But if, I mean, if they do sign him, then it is a bit frightening for everyone else because he will sort of complete that team almost to a degree. Um, and, uh, yeah, then it's, uh, it will be, it'll be very, very tough to dislodge them. And as you say, three and four leagues is, is already a pretty decent sign of, of dominance, um, and they could go on to, uh, to to do that even more so in the next five years if, if they got someone like Kane up front. I think he's almost the perfect Pep centre-forward. I think yeah. he's the centre-forward Pep thought he was signing when he signed Zlatan for Barca. Mm, maybe, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. think he, he wanted that player who could do everything, who could link, who could run behind, who could you know, be a clever creator as well as a finisher. And Zlatan being Zlatan, you know, he tries when he wants, um, as the song goes. Uh, Harry Kane's not that sort. He's, he's an honest player. I think he's hungry to win trophies. He's fed up of coming second and third at Spurs. And um, I think he'd, he'd just be so perfect in that team. Uh, to be honest, I think they'd win the league pretty yeah. comfortably next season with Harry Kane. <laughs> He's probably more fed up at finishing seventh as well than second and third. <laughs> ball, but, but yes, I, t- I, t- I take your point. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it almost feels as if Harry Kane has spent the last two years auditioning for Pep by adding, you know, he's, he's improved his game. Like I say, yeah. he's become a provider as well as a scorer. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, come and come and get me, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I think, like you say, it'd be, it would be a good move for them I, I, in a way for that reason. Hope it doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, I, I suspect it, it, it probably will do. Um, the other thing I'd say, you know, in terms of the, I mentioned the Champions League final, it's a free hit for Chelsea. It's definitely not for Man City. Not like there is a lot riding on that. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be a fascinating game. Um, I really do. Um, really yeah. interested to see what side Pep picks. Because if it was me, I would play Gundogan as a, as a false nine. I'd be really interested to see what he does. I I think he got it wrong in the semi-final in the FA Cup. Um but it's going to be fascinating what team he picks. Pep does have this slight tendency, as great a manager as he is, in really big games to outthink himself a little bit. Remember yeah. the semi-final, the famous Torres game, the, the semi-final against Chelsea when he was a Barca coach, when he suddenly played three at the back, having not played it all season, and it just looked like a complete mess. Um, uh, and and he, he, 
he just it is a bit of a chink in Pep's armour. I think his best team this season has been playing with a false nine with Gundogan as as that as that player, and that's the system he should play on on Saturday. No, you're right. He got a lot of stick for it when they went out of the Champions League last season. There was a lot of yeah. oh, the, the overthinking one banter going around on, on social media and the like. So, yeah, it will be, you're right, it will be interesting to see what, what he does. But I think either way, yeah, it'll be a, a really good game. And I'm sure we'll sure we'll all be tuning in and and have to say, whilst I do hate to say it, hoping, hoping for a Chelsea victory. We do not need Man City winning the Champions League. The court accepts this into evidence. <laughs> um We've had a really, really mammoth look at the Premier League though, and you know what? I'm actually really proud that we did a a review of the last season and a preview of the coming season and we're, we're still here. Um, I'm, I'm really, really proud that we've managed to do a full season. And what we'll do, just before we, we wrap up for, for this season, is uh, first of all, I want to congratulate Sutton United on getting into the Football League. They uh, won the, the conference the other day and they're now a Football League team. Yeah, they are phenomenal achievement for Sutton. I remember when they were a struggling Conference South team not that long ago. So to be playing in the Football League next year is incredible for them. Um, and, you know, I, South London is becoming kind of, you know, quite a wealthy area for a club to be in. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if we see a few London clubs come out of non-league into the Football League in the next few years. You know, Bromley have been up there for a, a few years as well, competing and um, you know, it's great for Sutton. I just think what an unbelievable achievement. Three or four years ago, you just never thought it was possible. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, I also want to say just how amazing the playoff games have been this weekend. Um, the, the, the lower, the, so the biggest like, kind of blowout was um, Oxford nil, Blackpool three. And that was a really exciting game, and Oxford were unlucky to lose it by three. And the second leg was three-three, um, and there was three goals inside the first fifteen minutes. And every game has been tight and tense, apart from from that first one. And it, it finished off with Newport against um, Forest Green. Forest Green. That that was a dramatic three-nil up, three-two, four-two to extra time, and then a hundred nineteenth minute winner. It was just it's just been a really, really brilliant weekend to play off football and I hope the finals are the same because if the finals live up to the semi finals, we're into Clive Mendonca territory. Yeah, I hope we have three great finals next weekend. I think we could do. Right. And with that that brings to the end the twenty twenty one season. Thank God. Um, <laughs> with with that being said, we'll, we what what I think we'll do is we'll do a Euros preview show. Uh, we'll, we'll have a look at who's who's going to do what in the Euros. That's two weeks away, um, and then we'll 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 possibly revisit through the Euros where where we're, where we're up to and how the Euros is going. And yeah, thank you for all your support this season. Uh, thank you to to you two gentlemen for for sticking it out, even though sometimes football's been far from the mind of not only us but everyone in the country. And yeah, here's to uh, another season where there are. Lots of fans in the ground, although I still wish there was a mute button for Burnley away, uh, <laughs> as I found out to my expense on Wednesday. So, um, well done, gents. And if you'd like to catch the Big Football Podcast, you can do so via iTunes, Spotify, Podbean and Amazon Music. If you hit subscribe, you'll get every bit of content that we put out. Right, thank you very much for your time, gents, and we'll catch you again after a while. <laughs>